describing what we do and why we are here, here's Pastor Ed Ray. We don't have any light of our own. Someone said we're like the moon. We only have reflected light, which takes a great deal of pressure off us. It's not our problem. It's God who puts his light within us, his spirit within us, and then we live our lives as he changes us from the inside out. And we live our life in front of the world. That's why we're here. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your Speaking of those who are in darkness, if they're ever going to see where to go and what to do, they'll need someone to light the way. You see, there's only one cure for darkness, and that's light. Until Jesus comes, his church is to light the way. And how we go about that is our focus today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. If you were with us last time, you'll remember we began talking about how we're to let our light shine till the Lord returns. Now, there's differing schools of thought on how all this plays out, but our scripture will help us clear up some of the confusion. To explain from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, here's Pastor Ed. It's just natural the way it reads that there's two separate events. Now, some try and combine this into one event. Jesus comes down in the clouds, and he calls all the dead out of the grave. Everybody agrees Jesus is coming, right? Everybody agrees that the dead in Christ will rise. That's what we looked at last time. The difficulty is, is there any space between chapter 4 and chapter 5? There is. And you'll see it here as we go through the pronouns in just a minute. When Jesus comes back to planet Earth, not in the sky, not in the air as we saw last time, he's going to land on the Mount of Olives. That's what the angel said. He's going to come back the way he came. You can find it in Zechariah and Zephaniah. That when he touches down on the Mount of Olives, it splits in two. And a river flows out that heals the land, that heals the Dead Sea, it heals the oceans that have gone through all the seven years of tribulation. When Jesus returns, all those things will happen. So, that's separate from meeting Jesus in the air. But you, verse 4, but you, children, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. You won't be surprised by it. So, Paul vividly shifts from the third person to the second person, plural. But you from they will not escape in the verse before. But you will not be present to experience these things. The day of the Lord will overtake unbelievers, but it will not overtake you as a thief because you will not be here. Verse 5, you are children. Technon, the Greek word of light, and children of the day. We are not children of the night. And we are not darkness. Notice Paul includes himself in this. Paul is saying children of the light and children of the day are not going to be caught off guard. The Lord intends for us to be knowledgeable about eschatology, the biblical prophecy. That's 
what this chapter is. God always tells his children when something is going to happen that will affect the whole earth. And here he is over and over again describing it to us. Two obvious signs that he's coming. I mentioned Israel. 1948, Israel became a nation. The first time in the history of humanity that a language was not spoken for 1900 years and then is revitalized and is now spoken among 8 million people in the country of Israel and all over the earth again. This is a miracle that God said would happen 2,600 years ago. Ezekiel 37, it's the dry bones. He takes Ezekiel to this valley, he says, what do you see? He says, I see just bones everywhere, human bones. Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel wisely says, you know, Lord. <laughs> and, uh, and the bones came together, skeletons standing up. And then all the various parts came onto them, and muscle and ligaments and tendons, and then finally skin. That's the nation of Israel coming back together. God said it would happen 582 years before Jesus came. So here's prophecy happening in our life. That should give us a clue. Number two, we're seeing that the book of Revelation can be fulfilled. It said a third of the earth will be destroyed. We have nuclear warheads proliferating throughout the earth. You know, I'm concerned about North Korea. How about you? I, I'm concerned about Iran. I see these things and I go, you know what? That's how Ezekiel 38 could take place if you read it. It's obviously a nuclear war. I don't want to be here for that. I'm planning on escaping. Come with me. It'll be fun. <laughs> also, there's a lot of other clues. We got computer chips on everything. You want to get Fido tagged, you take him down to Redlands Pet Hospital, less than 50 bucks. They put a computer transmitter in him. You can find out where he is. Children in Mexico of high officials are getting chipped, as they call it. Why? Uh, because of so much uh, kidnapping for ransom down there. So it says that people are going to have to take a certain form of ID in their back of their hand or in the forehead and that whole thing. We'll see it when we get to the book of Revelation. Okay. He says, sons, daughters, children of light. I love the picture of light. I think it's uh, very helpful for me. Technically, light is electromagnetic radiation. It's actually energy photons striking something out in the sunlight, their momentum is transferred into heat energy. Uh, when we say light, we normally mean visible light, what you can see, about 400 nanometers to about 750, that our human eye can see. There's ultraviolet and infrared on either side of it and on out through x-rays, etc. But the part we can see is a fascinating thing that's so critical for light. It's power, it's energy. We have solar panels now available. We have, uh, for centuries, chlorophyll has been a little factory that's producing in a plant through the Krebs cycle. We won't go into all the biochemistry, trust me, but we see that starches and sugars are, are made available so that animals like you and I that can't make our own starch and sugars, we eat it, and thus we have ice cream. Oh, uh, maybe. <laughs> Thank God for ice cream. It's a wonderful thing. Um, a pinpoint of light is very noticeable. A single candle at 10 miles on a dark night can be seen. Just like an act of kindness, an act of love, done through the heart of Jesus Christ by one of us, has a way of impacting a very 
cruel world. That's the picture he's talking about, that we don't have any light of our own. Someone said we're like the moon. We only have reflected light, which takes a great deal of pressure off us. It's not our problem. It's God who puts his light within us, his spirit within us, and then we live our lives as he changes us from the inside out. And we live our life in front of the world. That's why we're here. Light is often referred to as truth and wisdom and scripture. Psalm 27.1, David calls the Lord God my light and my salvation. Psalm 119.105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Isaiah 2.5, let us walk in the light of the Lord. John 1.4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Romans 13, 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. That's very interesting, a phrase. Revelation 21, 23, there will be no need of a sun and moon in heaven because the glory of God will fill the whole place. When we get to heaven, it's going to be strange because there's no need for a, a burning ball up there. Jesus himself is the light, and we'll all see it clear. So, do you know who you are? Do you understand what your life is about? Do you know why you're here? You are here to reflect the light of God to other people as long as you're alive, and then they'll take you to heaven for eternity. It starts with surrender to him. If you've never done that, then none of this yet makes sense. But we reflect God, Jesus Christ. We have to stay close to him. One of my daughters, one of her fish was fading, her goldfish. And she said, uh, what's wrong with this? It looks like it's turning white. So you got it in the corner. It's in the dark. Goldfish are like white people. They got to get out in the sun. They get a tan. I'm telling you the truth. There's other reasons for it, but the most common reason for goldfish getting blah is they don't get enough sunshine. You need to get closer to Jesus, the sun, S-O-N, and then you'll reflect him, and you'll look better. People want to be around you. It's all good. Verse 6, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Be on your guard. And he uses a, a military term of literally a guard standing guard at a, as a sentry, in other words. Not sleep like others. Stay alert. Be sober, because believers are the light. They should not slip into spiritual lethargy, indifference. That's what he's talking about. Be alert to the spiritual issues that are around you. Goodness gracious, they're just screaming, aren't they? In our political climate, Paul is emphasizing watch and be sober pay attention. Be on guard. Be alert. That's watchful. Don't be asleep. Don't be insensible. To what, I, I know you just want to turn the news off. I understand. But you've got to stay connected. You've got to be able to give others hope. And three, be sober. It's not talking about alcohol probably. It's talking about being self-possessed, being focused, not being all over the map, but focused on the things of God, what God has revealed to you. He says it again slightly differently, verse 7. For those who are asleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. Don't sleep or slide into spiritual neutral, he's saying. Protect your mind. In fact, keep your mind in anticipation of his return, that it could happen at any time. 
This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's expounding on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and what we're to be about as we anticipate the Lord's return. Pastor Ed continues with more encouragement from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 on how to stay focused on the things that really matter. But let us who are of the day be sober, verse 8, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. Don't get too excited about the things of the world. Focus on the spiritual things. Eternity is hanging in the balance. He says breastplate of love and faith and the pictures of this guard. He used the term for a guard, a sentry, and he has on this uh, Roman breastplate that has two leather straps here and a back piece, and it guards the vital organs, right? Well, in Ephesians, it, it's described as the breastplate of righteousness. This is the same thing, because here it's called faith and love. You don't have any righteousness. I don't have any righteousness. But in fact, through putting faith in grace, the grace of God to us, and the love of God, then it's consistent, exactly what he's saying there. Now, the second phrase, the hope of salvation, the helmet, you protect your mind with a helmet, right? Hope here means expectation, anticipation of salvation. Do you know you're saved? I grew up in a church that they taught us, well, that was an arrogant thing to think, that you could know that you're saved. Well, that's because that church thought you could earn salvation, that it was by performance. God wants you to know. John says, I, I write these things to you. Gospel of John, last chapter. I write these things to you so that you might know that he is the Son of God, and by believing him, you have eternal life. I want you to know that. God wants you to know of your salvation. He wants you to be confident so you can be arrogant and do anything you want. <laughs> no. So you be confident and try amazing things for God, things beyond your capacity. Like uh, if you're ahead in uh, the race, whatever it is, bicycles or cars or go-karts or anything, if you're so far ahead you've lapped everybody and you could coast to the finish line, what would you do? Well, you'd just coast. No, you wouldn't. You'd get crazy. You'd try that corner. Um, maybe I'm just putting on you, me. <laughs> I would put my foot in it and see how close I can come to the wall. Yeah, but you're addicted to adrenaline, Pastor. You're a messed up dude. Okay, maybe so. Verse 9, last section. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Important verse. God didn't appoint you, believer, to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's even a little clearer in the NIV. God has destined us. God has destined us to the full attainment of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have a destiny. When you surrender your life to God, your destiny is salvation for eternity, deliverance from the outpouring of God's wrath. That's his punishment on a Christ-rejecting world, and God has not appointed his children to that. Why? Because he took it on personally. Jesus took on the wrath of God on the cross, the wrath that I deserved. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, he said, because Ed Ray's wrath was on him at that moment, and so was yours. And so I don't have wrath to face. Oh, 
Tribulation, we got lots of that. You're either in tribulation, you're in a storm right now, or you're coming out of it and heading into another. That's just the Christian walk. But this is something different. This is God's wrath. Tribulation has happened in the world around us because of people and because of Satan. God causes this wrath. He hasn't called you to that, but he has called you to something. He has appointed you to something. He has destined you for something, full salvation, eternity with him. Max Lucado uh, wrote on this in a little devotional the other day. I kind of went, wow, this is perfect. A day transporting a family from one city to another is closely akin to God transporting us from our home to his. Some of life's stormiest hours occur when the passengers and the driver disagree on what takes place during the trip. Those of you that have children totally understand that. Imagine the chaos if a parent indulged every child's wish. I'm hungry. We need to stop. Are we there yet? Can you imagine the chaos if God indulged each of our desires? NIV says God has destined us to the full attainment of salvation. God's overarching desire is that you reach that destiny. His itinerary includes stops that encourage you on your journey. He frowns on stops that deter or discourage you. When his sovereign plan and your earthly plan collide, a decision must be made. Who is in charge? If God must choose between your earthly satisfaction and your heavenly salvation, which do you hope he chooses? Me too. <laughs> the one that gets me there. God has not appointed us to wrath. Wrath is coming to the earth Jesus quoted from Daniel, there shall be a time of great tribulation as the world has never seen before or will ever see again. Revelation calls it the day of his wrath. Arrogant men and women, kings of the earth, will hide themselves from the face of him rather than allow themselves to surrender to him. For the day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand, it says there. As far as the church is concerned, Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, but this is something completely different. This is the wrath of God. You don't want to be here for it. Verse 10, he who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, this goes back to looking at the rapture, those who were awake, or it's looking at verse 5 and 6, wake and sleep, we should live together. We're going to live with him, whether we've already died. Paul is talking to the Thessalonians, your loved ones, mine that are in the grave, who love the Lord. We are going to spend eternity together with him. You will never die. What? That's what it says. That's what Jesus said when he comes to Bethany on his way to visit the grave of Lazarus. And Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary, and they confront Jesus on the road. You should have been here, Lord. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the source of resurrection. I will get you there. He who believes in me, though he will die physically, his body, you will live. If you believe in me, you will never die. Do you believe that, Martha? She said, well, <laughs> I believe you're coming. You know, there's a resurrection of the dead. No, 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 no. I'm the God of the living. That's what he told the Pharisees when he said, Abraham. He said, Abraham, 
He rejoiced to see my day, and he sees it now. He said, Abraham's dead. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. He's the God of the living. Abraham's alive. Everyone's alive who has put their trust in God. You will be there with him. You're going to die, body, but the moment you take, I, I love to say it this way, it encourages me. When I take my last breath here, and I've seen a lot of people take their last breath, working in a hospital for years and then doing what I do now. When they take that last breath, and they're a believer, I go, whoop, next breath right in front of Jesus. Right there. Right in front of you. And when you see his face, you'll be like him. And you'll know just as you are known. That's what Paul told us in Corinthians. Your last breath here leads to your first breath in his presence. <laughs> and a cool new body. Yeah. I, I'm with you. And today would be a good day. Let's do it today, Lord, please. Verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other. Encourage one another. Comfort means to come alongside and strengthen. Edify means to build up. Okidoma in the Greek language. Doma is a, your domain, your home. Oki means to build up. To, to build up each other. Because you're going to have a bad day and you need somebody to come along you, beside you. When you see somebody struggling, then reach out to them and encourage them along the road to life. Because we all have those struggles, every one of us. Comfort each other, edify, build up one another, just as you're already doing. Paul's not complaining. He's saying you're already doing. This is a good thing. Keep doing it. That's what we're here for, to encourage one another and let your light shine. Okay, so if we go back and try and sum it up in verse 5, you are children of the light, children of the day. We are not children of the night, nor are we children of darkness now. Jesus has invaded our hearts, and he's changed us. We are transformed. We are being changed even more now. Great story, uh, true story. A father and his two children, an eight-year-old boy, 10-year-old daughter, in a New Jersey seashore resort, and they're all three really great swimmers. Dad was a, a swimmer, taught his kids early. And uh, they go out. Some distance from shore, they begin to get separated, and Dad realizes his daughter is out in front because she's going for it, and his son is next to him, but there's a big gap that's open, and he realized they hit a tie, and she was getting pulled out. So he shouts to her, Mary, I'm going to shore for help. If you get tired, turn on your back. You can float all day on your back. I've seen you do it. I will come back for you. He takes his son in, tells the lifeguards, call out all the search boats, Coast Guard, private boats going out, and they brought in the helicopters. They looked for four hours. And about three miles further out than they were looking, the helicopter spots this little girl on her back, floating, kicking, happy as can be. They pick her up, they bring her back, and there's hundreds of people on the seashore, let her out, and there's a news reporter there. And the reporter sticks the microphone in her face and says, were you afraid? And she said, quote, Daddy said he would come for me, that I could float all day. So I swam and floated because I knew Dad would come. Feel like you're being pulled by a strong tide that you can't control? Feel like you're being overwhelmed, pulled under? You're trying to do it yourself. Surrender. Let Jesus carry you. He'll get you there. Indeed he will. Comforting and reassuring truth Pastor Ed Ray has given us today on Grow in Grace. 
The Lord has promised to save, and He is able to do it. We're studying 1 Thessalonians with Pastor Ed Ray. It's part of a larger study in the New Testament. If you've joined us late or you just want to hear this again, go online to thepackinghouse.org. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. Or you can call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. You know, it takes a team to bring Grow in Grace to you, and we look to our listeners to help make all of this possible. We have an exciting resource to tell you about. It's True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer. After serving the Lord as a pastor for many years, Francis began to wonder if Christianity really made a difference in people's lives. True spirituality, you could say, is the result of his effort to re-examine his faith. And if you want to discover what true spirituality looks like in everyday life, this is the book for you. We'll send you a copy when you support Grow in Grace today with a gift of any amount. And as you give, you'll be helping many others around the country and around the world to grow in grace as well. Just give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sit me in the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice. For everyone, faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your.